Hey guys, you thought you were done, but we have a little more for you. Uh, we're doing a little special bonus episode to compare and contrast Black Klansmen with Green Book. Both were nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture this year in 2019. One came out victorious. Sarah and I have some thoughts about that. That would probably just be interesting to look at two approaches of two films that wanted to comment on and um, include the theme of race in America today and the differing ways that they did that. So we have a little bonus episode for you guys. Yeah, as I was watching Black Klansmen, I watched it maybe a week after I watched Green Book. Maybe it was two weeks. I don't know. It was very, very recent after I'd watched Green Book. So still in my mind, we had recently recorded our Green Book episode. And I couldn't help while watching Black Klansmen notice how many similarities there were throughout the film between the two movies, even though they couldn't have been more different. So I think comparing and contrasting the two, especially given the best picture win for Green Book, uh, is going to be really interesting. Yeah. And especially because there's been a lot of conversation and backlash for the Academy and for Hollywood this year, we thought it'd be really relevant to just discuss that um, and kind of weigh in on our, our thoughts and opinions on on that whole thing <laughs> because it's, it's been a big source of uh, controversy this year. So speaking of controversy, Green Book was steeped in controversy because of their lack of permission to make the film. Mm -hmm. uh, even though it is based on a true story, Dr. Shirley's family were not fans of the film, nor were they asked if they could make this. And before he died, Dr. Shirley said, hey, don't make a movie about me. So they're off to a great start. In contrast, Black Klansman is also based on a true story and the real-life Ron Stallworth, he watched the movie, enjoyed the movie, um, and similarly, uh, if you haven't watched these movies, you should not be listening to this. So I'm just going to spoil the movie <laughs> right here. If you haven't watched it, go watch it, listen to this later. But um, even the Charlottesville footage at the end, Spike Lee was very intentional to go get permission um, yeah from the family of the woman who was killed to show that footage. So that to me is probably the biggest and most impactful contrast between the two films. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in a lot of interviews that Spike Lee does about the film, um, there are some where Ron Stallworth is very much in those conversations and answering the questions and they're doing it together, sitting side by side and, that feels so much more responsible of a way to do it. Like, hey, if we're going to tell the story about you, you should be, a, be able to have a platform to weigh in on your thoughts and for people to see your opinions and have, have a moment in, in front of all these viewers as well. Um, 
So I think the fact that Spike Lee also chose to do a lot of these interviews together um, kind of as equal partners um, in talking about this film was also just more just cherry on top. Um, it, it really speaks to like filmmaking as a craft and as a profession and how much it matters to be honorable and to not take someone's story and kind of exploit it and, and do with it and run with it however you please, but to go to the source and really ensure that you're telling the story the way that they want it to be told as well. So also with Howard telling stories in Green Book, it was a story about friendship or so it purported in uh, Black Klansman, it was a black man and a white man who were working together to achieve something. And that was enough. They didn't need to be best friends. They didn't need to talk about racial reconciliation. None of that. Which one do you think was more powerful in their conversation about race? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. I. it's a great point. Black Klansman really doesn't make a huge deal about that. It's just portraying it. Even his relationship um, with a lot of the other white police officers, like it doesn't feel the need to make this huge bravado out of that relationship, even though that was like huge at the time um, for him to be the first black police officer in Colorado Springs and to have built this rapport with the white police officers. Like that's an awesome thing to celebrate. And yet the film is so understated in that. I mean, the film had a bunch of other things it wanted to say, but the, it, I, I totally agree. Um, the way it didn't need to call attention and shine this giant spotlight for you as a viewer to be like, hey, look, they're getting along. Like that, <laughs> I thought, was so well done. Yeah, I, I completely agree. By the, by the end, I was so pleased that they didn't make these two characters friends. Like, I was so happy about that. Mm-hmm. It's like, they can joke around with each other. They can have fun while they're at work. They can, you know, make fun of each other and riff with each other. Like, that's awesome. But then after work, they go their own two separate ways. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Green Book, I walked away from that going, they weren't friends. Why did you try to make their relationship into something that it was not? Why did you try to infuse extra meaning into it that really didn't need to be there? Um, So I just, I so appreciate how Black Klansmen handled that type of relationship a lot more than the way that Green Book did it. Mm -hmm. And I think we as viewers, like we know when we're being manipulated. We know when something's really like clearly laid out to us to try and like get us to understand something. And I think Black Klansman does the same thing too, but it doesn't in a way where there's so much nuance and subtlety and complexity that it chooses to show instead of this really glossy linear story, one very one dimensional story um, that Green Book portrays where it's like, we know that, you know, at the beginning when um, Tony puts the glass that the um, 
two workers came to his home and drank from these glasses and he he puts the glass into the trash can like ooh, we know what's gonna happen at the end where he's gonna change like it's it's so clearly laid out to us that it loses its impact because we we kind of see it coming and we know that we're being led down this path and it's so obvious that it kind of feels um honestly it's kind of annoying you're like i the viewer is not dumb. Like, we talk about this all the time, but we love films that assume that the viewer is paying attention, can understand and handle these complexities and subtleties. Like, those make an impact because it's more reflective of real life, honestly, um, than these very carefully crafted, beautifully laid out, glossed up stories. And I think the the complexities of Adam Driver's character in Black Klansman were so much more interesting to me than Tony's stereotypical Italian family from New York uh, in Green Book. I, I talked about it in Green Book. I didn't care about Tony Vallelonga at all. <laughs> didn't care what he did. I wanted him to be able to provide for his family. That's cool. That was the extent of my empathy. But Adam Driver's character, I had so much empathy for because there was more to him than meets the eye. And the film did a really good job of pulling that out of his character. I feel like it did a lot. I feel like Green Book tried to do that and showed that he had layers and this depth and this emotional side, especially uh, with his wife and his family. But I feel like Black Klansman did a lot better job uh, with the with the Adam Driver character as um, the white guy in the film, uh, as opposed to Green Book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was, you, you saw Adam Driver's internal conflict and you saw him struggling and realizing and expanding his understanding of his identity and how he's reframing his understanding of his childhood and who he is and his culture. And that wrestling made his character's storyline feel impactful at the end. Whereas, frankly, we don't really see that in Tony throughout Green Book, actually. Um, you know, there's supposed to be this big change in him and whatnot, but we actually don't see that that turmoil or that conflict or that wrestling for Tony the way that we do for Adam Driver's character. And for any real ideological change or big, like, mindset switches that we as humans have, it it often requires wrestling when like, we thought our world was one way and we introduce this new idea that completely wrecks it. It does shake our world a little bit. And we didn't get to see that in Green Book with Tony's character, which I think makes his arrival at his quote-unquote change at the end, it didn't feel earned and it didn't feel authentic or realistic because that's not actually how it would happen in real life. Yeah, I completely agree. I hadn't really thought about it like that before, that the supposed transformation really wasn't earned. And Mm -hmm. 
I know that I walked away from it going, that was a movie about a racist guy becoming a little less racist. And that didn't seem like a worthy enough premise for a film for me. Um, And now that makes sense because he didn't go through the hard stuff in order to earn that character change. Mm -hmm. And I think there weren't stakes as well. Like if he didn't change that, like what would matter in black Klansman, you see Ron, you even see Ron Stallworth have this inner, inner turmoil between his role being part of the police force and his new friendship with Patrice and how he's grappling with this idea of like, I'm fighting for the same cause as you in a different way. Does that, is that more or less valid than the way that you're choosing to resist and fight these forces? And you see him grapple with that. And the stakes are huge for him. It's this, um, it's, it's like his own identity for himself. It's this relationship with this, girl that he's interested in and whether or not she will find out and what she'll think when she finds out. And, um, there's stakes to his own inner turmoil as well. See, it's like you knew where I was going. Cause my next <laughs> question for you was going to be, which film do you think handled tension and stakes better? Mm-hmm. And see, you Look just answered it without me even <laughs> having to ask. Look at that. Yeah. I mean, both char- both of the main characters in Black Klansman are dealing with inner tension and inner conflict because it it is a difficult question of whether or not you're fighting from the inside, fighting from the outside. Is it even possible to fight from the inside within a racist system, according to Patrice? Like, all these interesting tensions and implications between these ideologies at play with each other. And... Green Book just doesn't deal with any of those, really. Um, even Don Shirley's turmoil and identity crisis feels... I don't... I think they didn't portray that tension well. I Inherently, in reality, that tension between, like, who I am, um, I don't feel X enough for this group of people or why enough for this group of people like that's a very real tension but the weight of that um and the portrayal of that I thought was didn't do it justice in Green Book even in Don Shirley's character which is the the biggest one that it had the opportunity to show that that turmoil and so in both of these films in Green Book we have Don Shirley who is in a very unique position of being this classical pianist. He's also a black man who is doing this pretty courageous thing of playing his music down South where um, segregation and racism still exist. And um, then in Black Klansman, we have Ron Stallworth, who is the first black man in the Colorado Springs Police Department who does this absolutely absurd thing of going into infiltrating the KKK. And so both of these position these black men as doing this unique and heroic thing. And I know before I watched Black Klansmen, I really loved the parts with 
Dr. Shirley in Green Book. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's an awesome premise for a movie. I was still pissed that he was the supporting actor instead of the main character. That's still really, really wrong in my mind. But then I watched Black Klansman and I saw how that unique position for a black man in the midst of a racist system was portrayed. And it made me dislike Green Book even more. Um, probably had I not seen Black Klansman, I still would have been like, oh yeah, that part of the movie was really good. But even now, after Black Klansman, I, it cheapens, it shows just how cheap those parts in Green Book were, mm -hmm. even though those were the most powerful parts of the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, even the scene which uh, Don Shirley's gets out of the car and he sees um, the slaves on the plantation and the workers on the plantation, like, that scene feels so oversimplified in a lot of ways. Like, it feels like it's painting with such broad strokes and missing a lot of the nuance. And that that was probably one of the um, parts of the film that I think in our episode we talked about as being one of the better ones as well. <laughs> and yeah. even that, I think, is just painting feels like such an oversimplification of our history and such a, like, kind of oversimplified portrayal. For me, I mean, I hated Green Book from moment one, but to me that was a movie created out of white guilt and to make white people feel better. And Black Klansmen, nope, not at all. It's, And I think that's, that's the difference when you have a movie about racial tensions, racial reconciliation, any conversation about race. If you have one started by a white person and controlled primarily by white people, and if you have a film controlled primarily by black people, and you're going to have two very different products come from it. And at least for me, Black Klansman was so much more impactful and I felt after watching Green Book like I had to apologize for being white, even though that was never actually called out. But I hated pretty much everything about that movie and how that made me feel and how it almost gave white people a pass and like, oh, no, everything's fine. I didn't feel that way with Black Klansmen. I... Mm -hmm wanted to celebrate this film and talk about this film and have it start conversations. So I think that that is one of the biggest differences between the two um, in just how race is portrayed when you have different people controlling how it's directed, written, and how the money's spent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and isn't that, I mean, that's it's always an interesting conversation around like, a film created about this is written, produced, created by someone who isn't belonging to that, you know, group of people or identity or whatnot. And I don't think that that means, for example, a white director or producer or screenwriter can, can't create a film like Black Klansman. But mm -hmm. what it does mean is that there's this level of, like, humility and understanding that you will not understand so much and so 
hey, let's bring in all these people and create a team that can help inform and validate and help create and shape the vision um, together and, and bringing in all these people that can help create it. Um, there's a place of like humility to understand, I feel like, inherently, like I won't understand what it's like to grow up in as a white person in America. You won't understand what it's like to grow up as an Asian American in America. We both won't understand what it's like to grow up as um, a black person in America, right? Like, Like we won't ever know. And I think that's why oftentimes people will tell stories that they've experienced, right? Inherently, it makes a lot of sense. But for any creator that wants to like shed light to a certain people group or an issue, like let's just bring in a team of people and co-create together and help shape the vision together. I, yeah, I completely agree. And something interesting while I was kind of like digging through IMDb after watching Green Book, because it felt like such a white movie to me. And I was like, this is about racial reconciliation, (laughs) y'all. Like, what is going on? I think there was only one or two black producers in that movie and everybody Mm -hmm. else was white. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, well, there's part of your problem. Like, Mm -hmm. they didn't have that that conversation. And, you know, with, with Black Klansmen, Spike Lee was able to talk to the guy that actually lived through this and um so there was a different level of depth that he was able to um add into the movie that the creators of of green book missed because it was written by what was it tony valalonga's son his Um, brother oh his brother? brother yeah his brother nick i believe it was some family member <laughs> wrote it. And so he only had one side of the story. Yeah. Um, man, you need those those multiple perspectives and multiple voices when dealing topic when dealing when dealing with topics like this. Yes, it reminded me so much of when you and I were watching The Wire and yes. just reading about how much uh David Simon and Ed Burns went in depth to do interviews and talk to people and they brought in people who used to be drug dealers or used to be in prison and had them read the scripts and be like, "Mm, no, like, I don't think people would have done that or nah, they wouldn't have said that or they wouldn't have gone about it that way. Like the commitment to being realistic and authentic was so great that they like did so much research and that's one of the things that made that show so great as well. And that create part, like infusing that into the creative process of like this level of depth of research or bringing in the right people really matters so much. I think these two films do such a great job of showing what it could be and what it might end up being if you don't. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's so true. Okay, so we said that this was going to be a mini bonus episode, yeah, <laughs> and uh, to to make sure that we we maintain our promise, I want to talk about one last thing. Okay. So, Green Book won Best Picture, as we've already talked about, 
best performance by an actor in a supporting role, which I'm still upset about. Maharshala Ali was amazing. He should have been the main character. Anyway, I'm not going to get on that soapbox. It also won Best Original Screenplay. It was nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role, Viggo Mortensen. Should have been Supporting Actor. And then uh, it was also nominated for Best Achievement in Film Editing. So a whole slew of things that it was nominated for and won. On the other hand... Black Klansman won Best Adapted Screenplay. It was nominated for uh, Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures. Wow, that's a long title. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Adam Driver, and Best Achievement in Film Editing. So there were a lot of the same uh, categories Mm -hmm between these two films. So Jen, how do you feel about those wins and those nominations? Uh, I, aside from the fact of like, what does this say about the film that we've chosen to give this like most highly distinguished film award for this industry, regardless of that for the present day, I just, I really wish Black Klansman had won the title of Best Picture, especially because I want this film to continue on into the future as being a prominent, commonly talked about, like, big, relevant piece. And I know inherently that just the the way that we often revisit history or go back to look at, like, prominent films from our times like if we only have a certain amount of time you know we're probably going to watch the ones or people often watch the ones that have actually won best picture versus some of the nominated ones and so that's one of the biggest things that makes me upset is that this film won't get to have that level of recognition that stamp of this one best picture therefore it is important and prominent so 100 years down the line you sure as hell better be watching this um, versus what actually happened, which is that Green Book one, and you know, in a hundred years, two hundred years, like we go back to this decade, and there's Green Book and another like six films that were nominated. Like Black Klansman inevitably won't get that same level of attention, and for a film that has said so much so well, I. It's just a shame that Black Klansman won't get to have that level of prominence as it ages forward into the future. And that's all besides the fact that this this has just shed so much light onto what we va- what is still being valued in the industry and in the people that are the decision makers for Hollywood today. So those are my thoughts. <laughs> I think we're going to have to do another mini bonus episode at some point in time just to talk about the Academy and Mm. what what is valued by that group of people and how that influences other films that are made Mm. and what is revered in our society in regards to film. Um, Because we can go all kinds of places with that, which would be so fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely agree with you. I think that Black Klansman was 
a much better film, not only in substance, but also in style. I, I think that to me, there was nothing spectacular about Green Book. There were portions that I kind of enjoyed, but I wasn't wowed by it. Mm -hmm. And there were so many moments in Black Klansmen where I was blown away. Some of the shots that they did, how things were framed, the intercuts between two things, telling one cohesive story. Like, there were so much beauty and ingenuity and creativity, and so much was brought to the craft of filmmaking within Black Klansmen. It should have won. Like, I haven't seen, I think, any of the other nominees other than these two. But between these two, Black Klansman should have won. It was such a better film. Um, and I'm really disappointed that it didn't win. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't, I read a really interesting article that kind of made me want to do a lot more digging into how the Academy works um, and some of the details of their voting. Because this article essentially had a hypothesis that one of the reasons Green Book won is because it may not necessarily have been the best film, but it was kind of the the most common middle tier film that was on the list in, in the voting process. So as the Academy is ranking their films um, for the voting, they'll if, if, if a film doesn't has not gotten 51%, they'll do another round of voting. And so it's what often... They, they kind of hypothesize that what often happens is that the kind of mediocre but easily palatable to a lot of people types of films will sometimes win over ones that are actually really well done because the Academy is divided. So, um, for example, if the Academy was divided between this and, I don't know, say Black Panther, which is also one of the other ones that was nominated, or The Favorite then those votes will all be split across those three films, for example. And maybe a lot of people put as their number three green book and that, and therefore it begins to bubble up to be the one that ends up winning. So it's an interesting theory. And I would be curious to dig into that more. I, I would, I mean, I don't know a whole, I don't know the in-depth like specific voting policies and clauses and, exceptions and all that kind of stuff for Hollywood. So it'd be interesting maybe for us to do an episode um, after we've done a lot of digging and research into it to, to kind of talk about that a little bit more and see if we think that the current voting method is good and if pros and cons of the way that it's done today and if we would make any recommendations for changes or whatnot. It'd be, it'd be kind of a fun exercise and thing to do. I mean, they won't listen to two random ladies, but, uh, <laughs> we can, it, it makes for an interesting discussion. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm definitely here for it and I'm ready to do some hardcore research <laughs> on the Academy because, uh, I know mm, nothing about it. Mm -hmm. So that would be really fun. Yeah. I mean, this is what, two or three years after the whole hashtag Oscar so white hashtag was a big thing and I know that after that the academy had some comments about how they wanted to double the amount of people of color that were voting in the academy so it's interesting to see how that will continue to play out as we 
move on into 2020 and beyond. So we'll see. And we can continue to comment on it as we go along. <laughs> yep. Yep. You sure as heck believe we will be. <laughs> cool. Well, in the spirit of keeping this a mini episode, um, this is this is really fun to talk about. I think um, while a lot of people have different opinions about the academy and some people say that we should completely get rid of the academy, others are more for it. At the end of the day, it is kind of the one of the biggest awards and distinguished honors that you can receive as a filmmaker or being an actor, actress, any part of the filmmaking process. And so it matters, like what this group of people determines as being the best matters so much. And it also matters as far as being a time capsule for generations down the line for what they deem as important films to watch 10 decades from now. So it matters. It'd be interesting for the next Academy for us to maybe do some more mini episodes or fallen episodes diving into how the Academy works and, um, it'd be interesting to do some episodes about the Academy when we get closer, especially. So stay tuned for that mm. in about a year from now. Yes. <laughs> Sarah, we've got a whole year to do some, uh, fun digging. <laughs> All right. We can, we can pace ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't have to cram right at the we'll end. Create a work back schedule. Just kidding. Ooh, I'm in work wow, mode that's right a, now. <laughs> that's so much more detailed than I was thinking. It's like, oh, just find one article per two weeks and read that and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, this is the strategic side coming out. So You'll have a whole we'll chart and calendar and color coded <laughs> and it'll be great. Probably some bibliographies, you yeah. know, all the things. Well, when we started this podcast, we, we made a vow to ourselves to restrain ourselves from any kinds of spreadsheets and <laughs> long-term planning stuff. So we'll, uh, we'll stay true to our, our roots. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this fun little bonus episode. Um, we, Sarah and I just, we have, we over text talked about this so much that we thought it'd be an interesting um, discussion to have and um, really relevant for this year and a lot of the commentary for Hollywood and the Oscars this year. So just staying relevant with time, staying woke. <laughs> you're staying woke I'm still not 100% sure what that means because I'm elderly internally <laughs> it means like being aware of like present day political stuff relevant stuff um, up to date with the times essentially See, politics I got you but literally everything else not so much <laughs> so can you be like a third woke because then that could possibly be me. Yes. I'll be another third woke. So together we'll be two thirds woke. <laughs> We're more than halfway there. Yeah. We'll have to rename the podcast. Two thirds woke. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our, our tagline now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a podcast that I would not listen to. Which is the funny <laughs> thing. I would read that and be like. Eh. <laughs> but hey. Oh man. <laughs> 
All right. Well. All right. Well, <laughs> we hope you guys have an awesome week. Um, thanks for hanging out with us on this little extra casual hangout sesh where we just talk about um, kind of thoughts that are very relevant to us right now. So thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll see you soon for another review. Bye, guys. Thank you.